electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Netflix bailing and buying. Why our own Josh Brown and John Najarian are buying. Bill Ackman, he's selling. What is the best move right now on this once-loved name? And are all high multiple growth stocks now on notice? We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Go to the wall, check the markets, where we do have now a mixed picture. NASDAQ was up. It's now negative by 39 or 40. There's the Dow, good for 75, 10-year note yield, heading towards 3% again. 294 is where we currently sit. But, Josh, I want to begin with you. Uh, this news broke from you yesterday. You, unfortunately, were on a plane at the time, uh, but now you are here. And I would love for you to expand on why you really decided to buy this stock, which is an absolute battleground name today. You've got Dan Niles saying he covered his short. We'll get into the Ackman news in just a minute. But you did buy. Why? Yeah, I, I saw the clip of you guys talking about me yesterday. I love you, Pete. Don't worry. But no, I, I thought I thought like a lot was made out of something that maybe I don't have that much conviction in. But I do think that the stock has been very much de-risked. It, it's not the same as being like, this is it. This is the bottom. Throw everything you have at Netflix. But I want to point out a few things, Judge, that I think are important. The first is this stock is, was $700. In, uh, in October, November. Yeah. So, yeah, probably didn't, belo- probably didn't belong there. Okay, that's fine. I didn't buy it there. Uh, even at the time Ackman was buying it, he, it, January, he was buying a stock that had come down substantially from its high. And I know it doesn't matter where a stock has come from. I understand all of that. But it speaks to the valuation. In January, this stock was trading double uh, the, the earnings multiple as Disney. And now they're on par. So I'm not suggesting Netflix should, should have a premium to Disney necessarily, but there are a lot of reasons that you can come up with why it would and why it has historically. And now you can basically buy the stock for 20 times earnings, $100 billion market cap on $30 billion in revenue. They dropped $5 billion in profit to the bottom line uh, last year. Could have dropped a whole lot more, but they've insisted on big budgets, big production. Uh, and, and maybe to some extent now they're going to get some religion on the way they've been spending on programming, while at the same time going after some of the low-hanging fruit like monetizing sharing. So I'm not saying that Netflix is out of the woods or there's no problems buying it. Here are 220, 210, 240, whatever it is. But this stock has come down substantially already and in my view discounts the idea um, that it's not gonna be a great period of time. I think like everybody gets that. So now the question is, well, how much risk are you really taking it here versus what happens when things start to go right again? So that's where I am with it. And uh, if it gets under 200, I have the firepower to add to it. I don't know if I will, but I can. You, you also made the point that you think, based on history, certainly in part, is that Reed Hastings, the CEO and, and management and the team will figure it out. 
that they have in they every instance in the past. But I just wonder, think, think Josh, back. if I just wonder, yeah, look, yeah, and, and even Bill Ackman, who I, who I spoke to today, tells me, look, they're, they're a phenomenal management team and, and they probably will figure it out. But I just can't wait around until they do that. It's just not my nature anymore or the way that Pershing Square in, invests anymore with a, you know, a smaller, more concentrated portfolio, a wider dispersion of results could could happen here. But what, what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, he, well, so he's got a different inve- he's got a different investment time horizon uh, than other investors. He's he's two and twenty. He's on the clock. This is me. So I'm a buy. Like I, I can if I decide, hey, they're going to get this thing on track, and it looks like the ad supported tier will come out this fall, and that will be additive. And oh look, they have like all these new hit shows coming out, and the subscriber losses have abated. I could decide to stay with it. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to perform or outperform in any one month, quarter, uh, or even year. So it's hard to judge the motivations and incentives of other investors. So I'll just speak for myself mm-hmm. and the statement that I gave you yesterday, uh, which is that think back the history of this company. It's, like, it's public like 20 years. First it was, oh, no, they're going to cannibalize their own business with streaming. Big mistake. They have this thing with the DVDs going. It's working well. And then it was, oh, no, they're going to develop their own content or they're going to make big purchases like House of Cards and they're going to spend too much money. All of these things that were initially panned by most Wall Street, not all, most Wall Street analysts, almost every one of them, Wall Street was dead wrong. They did the exact right thing. Remember going international, how scary that was. I think this, that was the stock's biggest percentage price loss in increases, one day ever. Right? I remember the when price they delayed, increases. Yeah. Uh, price, they'll ne- they can't take price. Oh, no. Uh, uh, Disney Plus is coming. Oh, no. This. Oh, no. That. Listen, it's, it's a tough business. It's Hollywood. It's media. Yeah. Go back and look at the history of Hollywood. It's competitive by nature. Everybody understands that. That's not the issue. The issue is at 20 times earnings, 100 billion valuation, they have 230 million subscribers. The next closest isn't even half the size. That's Disney. Mm-hmm. Okay? They have like an, uh, an audience that cannot be replicated. And every time the stock is blown up, if you made the bet that they would eventually get things right, as a shareholder, you were rewarded, not just a little bit, like richly, richly rewarded. The stock went up thousands of percentage points. Right. So I'm not saying they're, they're out of the woods. I'm not saying there aren't issues. I get that. It was 700. It's 200. Relax. Do- Dr. J, I mean, look, you, you you expanded on this in overtime yesterday, but you can do so more now. That is the bottom line, isn't it? I mean, it, at least in terms of if you see value, it was $700 in November. And it's two hundred and sixteen dollars today. And you bought it at two nineteen late in the day yesterday. Doesn't sound like you have a tremendous yes, amount of conviction either in it. But maybe it's just uh, picking from uh, something that's gotten obliterated. Yeah, um, and it, it, it actually was a little more of a conviction than uh, you just described, Scott. And here's why I bought the stock. I didn't just buy a call spread. Normally, I would just buy a call spread. I thought this stock, as Josh just outlined, was cheap enough that I said, okay, I'll buy it. When I buy a stock, it's usually that I'm buying it for six months or a year. In some cases, obviously, much more than that. But to focus on Netflix right now, I thought, okay, six months or a year from now, I think I'll be able to make, you know, call it 12 to 20% from selling calls against it as we just go and stack calls against it every month. Um, I did that this morning when the stock popped. 
I have not sold any calls yesterday. I'll probably buy those same calls back today, Scott, because the stock's down to whatever it is, 216 now. It opened and went through 228, I think, this morning. So as it pulls back like that, those calls compress. I'll basically buy those back, sell them out again. I think it's a challenge, but also an opportunity, um, this shared password that everybody got so hyped up about yesterday. Yeah, there's allegedly 100 million people that are sharing passwords and so forth. Um, I think a lot of those will uh, get addressed by technology, Scott, um, that Netflix is probably ready to start employing. I don't think that the uh, you can just throw a switch on the other hand and just say, oh, magically we have all of this revenue pouring in from ad support. I don't think that happens like that. I think that'll take several quarters, maybe even the rest oh, of this year gosh, it could before take, they get uh, into those. I mean, it could take a year. I mean, to your point, it's it's right. hard. And I think, you know, part of the conversation I had with with Bill this morning was it's hard to, you know, if you take 100 million people who are sharing passwords, if you're used to getting something for free, the thought of being able to charge. They don't for need them that, all. No, they don't but, need them but, all. But you need enough. Ten or twenty percent If if ten or twenty percent convert, even to a lowered pricing tier, okay? If ten or twenty, it's that's an incremental ten or twenty million users added, right? They were supposed to add this quarter. They were supposed to add two and a half million in organic growth. So in in like a very bad scenario where they lose eighty percent of the shared password uh, uh, people who are not great customers anyway, but they do retain one-fifth of those, that's like a lot of growth right there. It's, what, it's why I refer to it as low-hanging fruit. I'm not saying they can. I'm not saying it's tomorrow. Um, they'll need a plan. They'll need to figure it out. I'm just saying, like, historically, they've had challenges, and they have figured it out. Right. So let's, so well, let's take it this way, though. you want to make the bet that they're going to give up on this? No, but what about the challenge to, to margins, right? I mean, if, if subs are dropping... You, you lose your ability to have pricing power. Your content spend is still going up because of the intense and increased competition in the space. Margins are the ultimate thing that Yeah, but everybody feels that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Good point. No, Good no, no, point. but let me finish. Point. Let me everybody finish. I know that, but let me finish. Everybody feels right. that. But one of the reasons why you've been able to get a premium multiple is because your margins are able to expand. You're able to grow your subs. Right. I mean, you deserve a bigger multiple based on based on where your your growth is overall from subs, margins, the business, bottom line, et cetera. If part of that disappears, you can no longer have that kind of a multiple. The big unknown for the market, Josh, is what is an appropriate multiple in price for Netflix and the market's trying to figure yeah, that out. Yeah, we agree. Out. So right. We agree. So right now, the multiple is that of a TV network that that's literally where they're being. This is not being valued like a fang stock. It's not being valued like a tech stock. It's not being valued like a social network. It's literally being valued like a television stock. And maybe that is where it should be. Maybe that's appropriate. But I would still point out, find me a television network that has 200-something million subs in 65 countries. There aren't any. Nobody has that. So, so it's still a highly unique property, even if I concede that it's never going back to, for example, double the multiple of Disney, which is what it was carrying as recently as three months ago. Let me ago. do this. I, I don't think it belonged there. I didn't own it there. Let me, let me get Jim and, uh, and Brenda into the conversation. And Brenda, um, you know, the, the real conversation as it relates to, let's say, you know, Josh and John 
are buying, Ackman is selling, and as Josh said, I mean, it's, it depends on the kind of investor you, you really are as to whether this is the kind of stock you want to buy today. And I go back to what, what Bill told me this morning, we can pull part of this up, but when he was at least describing Netflix, it's a great company run by a great management team at a time when there's a degree of uncertainty that doesn't make a fit in the Pershing Square portfolio. This might work with someone with a portfolio with smaller positions, but when you have eight or nine investments that are large, it's hard to have bets where the dispersion of outcomes can be so wide. That speaks right to the issue. It depends what kind of investor you are, what kind of investor you want to be, how big your portfolio is, how many stocks you want to own, how much risk you want to assume, etc. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. But I think no matter what kind of investor you are, whether you have a really short-term time horizon or a much longer-term time horizon, we have to grapple with the question of where is this company in terms of its life? Is it now a much, much more mature business? I mean, Reed Hastings has done a phenomenal job over the last 20 years of really being a visionary in this space and growing an incredible company. And after two years of a perfect environment for streaming uh, during the pandemic, and all the pulling forward that happened during that time, we have to ask ourselves, is this now a more mature business? Um, and whenever things slow, you suddenly have the skeletons come out of the closet. And I would say that the fact that 30% of their you know, households aren't actually paying for the service is a pretty big skeleton. Perhaps it is an opportunity, but I think we have to think about you know, what kind of multiple is this company really going to be able to garner here? Um, I, I don't think personally that we're gonna go back to where it was. Um, uh, late last year, um, but I, I think you know when we have to really uh, grapple with that question and ask what is the catalyst going to be? Even what's the near-term catalyst going to be if yeah. you're a shorter-term investor? I think it's just going to they need to put up another uh, need to put up the numbers and it's kind of a show-me stock at this point. The other conversation I wanted to have is you know what this means. Not that Netflix was unprofitable, obviously, but you know for higher valuation growth stocks, Jim, um, for unprofitable growth stocks whether no, notice has been served. And if you didn't get the message with Facebook, even though obviously it's the, the multiples nowhere close to where some of these other high flying stocks were, you get it with Netflix. And then I look at stocks like, and I, I, I point to you because you own a Twilio, for example, unprofitable, right? Year to date's down 51%. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. And whether unprofitable yeah. tech, just a segue there, is now too dangerous a place to be because the market is going to really be focused on those names. And if you miss, look out below. Yeah, uh, listen, I totally agree with the premise that you're putting out there. As far as Twilio goes, that's my, I guess that's my gateway drug, if you will, into that sector. It's less than 1% of the portfolio, which indicates how much or rather how little I believe in it. I think the company is fabulous, but earnings are what matters. And if I look at Twilio, I'm looking at the upcoming earnings season, and this applies to all of these stocks, right? I'm looking at the upcoming earnings season, and I'm saying now or never. If you don't dazzle me, I'm done with it. But you don't see me adding to it right now, and you haven't seen me add to it in three, four months since I purchased it. Why is that? Because there are other profitable companies that are growing their profits with sane valuations that I would have to sell in my portfolio to fund that. So the burden of proof is absolutely on Twilio. And look, I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have even dabbled. You know, maybe I shouldn't have even uh, smoked but not inhaled. 
uh, with Twilio. The accusation can be made, but the bulk of my portfolio are stocks that are reasonably valued, whether they're value stocks or growth at a reasonable price. You did it with Roku, and um, I don't know, you must have liked the feeling so much. Uh, yeah. You, you came well, back for another hit. <laughs> you, make me, you do make me laugh anytime we bring up Roku. I just have to say that was pure momentum trading. Not what I do, but I could see it happening. And it was a lot of fun. I had fun. All right. I, that was a different gateway drug, yeah. some momentum trading. Right. The bulk of my investing is long-term investing. In all seriousness, though, you know, Roblox, Josh, down 65% year to date, um, a stock that you bought. I mean, how do you think about a Roblox today after what Netflix bombed? Yeah, as I've said repeatedly, this this is not a stock that's going to work in this environment. Uh, I think you want to think about your portfolio right now uh, in the context of the fact that we're about to see the 10-year in real terms flip positive for the first time in years. And in that environment where all of a sudden savings is not a, a four-letter word and you can actually earn a positive return taking no risk at all, inflation adjusted, the mindset shift is substantial. And I don't think in that environment you want to be thinking about, well, what are the stocks that um, have the brightest future five years out? It's not that you shouldn't be invested there. It's that you shouldn't be expecting anything good to happen on the way to that future. So it's a long time between now and when many of the stocks, Roblox included, that you mentioned are going to see any kind of uh, real earnings power. And in the interim, between now and then, they're going to be highly volatile it's going to be tough for them to find buyers. It's going to be tough for them to bottom out. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, look, I, I, think, I think you really want to say to yourself, um, you know, when am I using this money? And, and, and when you allocate uh, to different areas of the market, different asset classes, you always want to be thinking about what is the use of this money? And so small cap, mid cap growth equities – it's not that they can't work or they're all good or they're all bad or the future is something we shouldn't bet on. It's just that the demand for those uh, particular securities right, right now among hey. other investors is not going to be there. Hey, John, John, give me 30 seconds on Palantir because it's another one on my list, which you own. Uh, yeah, Palantir, Judge, this is one that, they, you know, it's, it's like a melting uh, snow cone or ice cube. Um, luckily, I have written <laughs> calls against it, and those calls just – keep, you know, paying me dividends, but the calls that are in the money on this one are just not making me money, Judge. So it's one of those things, uh, I don't have a sister, I can't say it's like kissing my sister, but it's certainly not a very attractive stock right now. Maybe right. it will be in the coming months. All right, we'll take a quick break. Tesla shares surging on a record quarter. One firm on the street saying it's a must-own stock now. Our committee will decide if it is or if it isn't. Halftime's back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy 
to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Take a look at shares of Tesla up more than 6% on that big earnings beat stock well above $1,000 a share. Now, Phil LeBeau joining us with more on the record quarter. Phil, Kramer called it a tour de force quarter. Dan Ives of Wedbush, Cinderella-like delivery numbers. Piper must own stock. It's no wonder, uh, given what they reported. Look, when you look at the numbers, especially the numbers within the numbers, Scott, this was a sensational quarter by Tesla, and it really shows the strength in terms of their ability to grow profit margins in an inflationary environment, given some of the headwinds that they're facing. Go ahead. Go ahead, Phil. Sorry, have me or? No, no, no. You're good. You're good. Josh was just Josh just lost his audio. They're trying to fix that, but you you go ahead. (laughs) Man, it's live television. We got a lot of people on at one time. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Look, I got kids screaming in the airport here. Long story short, when you look at Tesla. This shows that they are flexing their muscle right now, and I expect them to continue flexing their muscle in terms of profit margins growing, manufacturing growing, sales growing, especially here in the United States. Think about this one stat from the first quarter, Scott. The sixth best-selling vehicle in the United States in the first quarter, the Model Y, ahead of the Camry, ahead of the CRV. The only models that are ahead of it, the big threes, the primary pickup trucks, uh, and then a couple of other vehicles. They are going to be expanding Model Y manufacturing out of the Gigafactory in Texas. I think it's only a matter of time until the Model Y is starting to challenge. Maybe it won't pass, but starting yeah. to challenge some of the pickup trucks in terms of quarterly sales. Let me get uh, your reaction to something else that I've uh, said of, of Wedbush. Um, quote, the elephant in the room is the shutdown of Giga Shanghai so far in Q2. Three yep. weeks closed and now slowly up and running, which we believe will cause a 50K headwind to units for Tesla in the quarter as China's uh, zero COVID policy remains a slowly fading overhang uh, on the stock. I mean, you still are going to have issues uh, that are going to persist through 22, right? Musk said that yesterday, uh, I think, as part of the earnings release. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And yet he believes there's an outside shot at Tesla achieving a 60 percent increase in deliveries this year. They delivered 936,000 vehicles last year. 60 percent increase would bring them up to 1.497, just just shy of 1.5 million vehicles this year. Now, that's if everything goes right. And you point out that China, who knows if there are going to be other covid restrictions, shutdowns that we might see over the weeks and months to come. Uh, And they yes, they do have some headwinds, but they're managing A lot of the turbulence in the auto industry, whether it's with the supply chain or with semiconductors, they're handling that far better than their competitors. And we're really starting to see that come home in terms of those profit margins. Look, 30 percent profit margins. Yeah. X automotive credits. It was supposed to come in at twenty eight point nine. Every analyst I've talked with today has said, wow, that's all they're saying. Wow. You know, the other issue, and, and I want to make sure I heard Musk say this correctly, you know, we, we talk about the pricing power that they have, Phil, the ability to, to yep. raise prices as they have. He said they could have eventually reduce prices as, as well. Did, did he not? And I don't know what the likelihood is that that actually he did. happens he said or that. not. He said that, Scott. Let, let, let's be honest here. Um, do, do they sometimes bring down the price of a vehicle? Yes, they, they have been known to do that. I'm not holding out a lot of hope that we're going to see the price of Tesla models come down substantially. I think what we're seeing in the auto industry in terms of the increased prices, 
I think that it's likely going to stay here. It's not going to grow at the same rate that it did in the last year, but I think it's likely going to stay in this area. All right, good stuff, Phil, as always. That's Phil LeBeau joining us. Let's kick it uh, around, guys, because, Dr. J, you own uh, Tesla May 980 calls. Deep in the money, you'll probably roll them up, and that may be a good idea given what the stock's doing. Yep, I will do that, Scott, and I've already sold the 1050s against it right now, and uh, my intention is to roll up and take those profits off the table. Um, I know you and Phil were doing a great job breaking down some of those numbers. How about this one? $700 million is what they get from the other automakers, Scott, that have to buy their credits uh, because they produce uh, gasoline and diesel vehicles and they need those emission credits, if you will. $700 million. Mm. Do you know how much it costs Tesla to get that? Zero. That falls right to the bottom line. That is pure profit, my friend. And so without the legacy costs and with those credits, those aren't the government. The government might mandate that sort of stuff, but that's from all of their competitors, Scott. It's the craziest thing. And yet people don't recognize that. I just noted that the Citigroup analyst had moved up the target to 375 and still had a sell on it. Why would anybody listen to an analyst like that that has completely missed the boat on one of these stocks of the decade, yeah, yeah, no which doubt. is what Tesla is? Yeah, Brenda, you've looked at it many times. Uh, I know. Uh, just can't get beyond the, the price. We know it's expensive, but, you know, they're giving you every reason today, according to some analysts, to have it as a must-own. Yeah, no doubt. This is an incredibly strong quarter, um, and the fundamentals remain, remain, you know, incredible. It's certainly a first mover within the EV space. But I think if we look at valuation combined with the fact that over the next several years, we're going to see a lot of competition coming down the road. And, you know, as the bulls might argue, well, Tesla's, you know, created this really um, loyal customer base that's going to keep coming back for more. But I, I don't think we can deny that there is going to be a lot more competition coming. Um, so that combined with the valuation, combined with the environment that we're in with interest rates rising, that is what gives us pause in terms of actually pulling the trigger. Okay. To buy the stuff. All right. We'll take another quick break. John has unusual activity coming up. We'll do those trades next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
I'm Seema Modi and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is sending another $800 million in military aid to Ukraine and asking Congress to authorize billions of dollars for additional assistance. Our unity at home, our unity with our allies and partners and our unity with the Ukrainian people is sending an unmistakable message to Putin. He will never succeed in dominating and occupying all of Ukraine. He will not, that will not happen. In a televised meeting with his defense minister today, Putin told him to blockade the enormous Mariupol steel plant where the remaining Ukrainian defenders are holed up. Putin said storming the plant would be too dangerous for Russia's troops. Thirteen of Larry Nassar's sexual assault victims want the FBI to pay them $10 million each. They say the USA Gymnastics doctor should have been stopped when agents first learned of allegations against him. And in New Jersey, customers waiting hours in line to be among the first to light up and legally buy recreational marijuana in the state. Tonight on the news, how farmers in the Midwest are trying to protect their flocks from bird flu. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Appreciate that. That's Seema Modi. All right, it's time for unusual activity. Uh, Dr. J, what do you see today? Well, Scott, EQT is the first one we're going to hit. And the reason is uh, this stock is just on fire. It's up 156% year over year and 100% this year. But it's down today. And on that dip, I think it gives you a great opportunity. Somebody else thought the same because they bought 7,500. That's 750,000 share equivalent of the June 49 calls. That's with the stock trading just under 44. So in other words, they see you know, fairly significant upside between now and June, I joined them in that Nat Gas player EQT, and I'll probably be in those at least a month, Scott. Take a look at the second one, WDC. This is Western Digital, of course. Um, they bought 5,000 of the May 5750 calls. Big purchase, again, that's 500,000 share equivalent. Pete and I are all about following big money trades into whether it's stock options or crypto, and in this case, Western Digital, why not? It's a $51 stock, give or take, and they're buying the 5750s. So in both examples, substantially above where the stocks are. I'll probably hold this one most of the next two or three weeks, Scott. All right. Dr. J, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Up next, Joe Terranova is joining us on one of his recent trades. The stock is down 7% since he bought it. He's going to join us and tell us if he's sticking with it. Plus... He has just alerted us to a new position he has taken in a stock. The big reveal is next. Welcome back. Blackstone beating earnings estimates. The stock's down 5% right now. It was up about 5% earlier. So you have a big swing there. Joe Terranova bought that stock exactly a month ago today and joins us now. Uh, why the reversal, Joe? And does that concern you? Doesn't concern me. The reversal is because they were very strong earnings, but Blackstone needed blockbuster earnings. And that's not what you got. So I'm staying with the position. We own it in Joe T. I own it personally. You know that I've spoken a lot about long duration assets and the correction that's unfolding there. Well, $140 billion. Jonathan Gray spoke about that this morning. That's the cash on hand for Blackstone. They're going to be investing in those long-duration asset businesses like biotech, like life sciences, cloud computing, software, last-mile logistics. Rather give Jonathan the Gray the money to do it 
than invest it myself. And if I'm going to own a financial, I'd rather own Blackstone than a big money center bank. Let me, okay, let me get a comment from Josh before I move on to this new buy, which we've left people in, intrigued by. Carlisle, Josh, is the one you prefer uh, over this name. Why so? I actually, I actually like them both. And I think Car- Carlisle is a much smaller version uh, than Blackstone. But both will work for the same reason, which is that there is a record amount of money being put to work in alternatives in the wealth management space, pension space, family office. That is not going to change. That is just a new reality, uh, given what's going on with the bond market, the worst start uh, in, in decades for, for the fixed income portion of people's portfolio. And given still high valuations for a lot of stocks, uh, and and you're going to see continued money go to companies like Blackstone, Carlyle Group, and those companies are going to have the wherewithal to earn a lot of money off of those flows. So I like the space. I think Joe will make money. I think I will make money, and I would stay there. Okay. Um, now to the new buy, Joe, and it is Walmart. Um, yet another stock at a new high. And I, I bring that up because we had a conversation, if not yesterday, it was the day before, about a couple of ag-related names that you had bought that were both at highs as well. So it's interesting timing, but why the name and then the timing? Yes, sir. Well, listen, keep Josh talking because he's going to love the breakout here in Walmart. But it's about my concerns surrounding agriculture and food inflation. The other day I came on the show, I said I bought Bungie, I bought Nutrient, adding to Deer and Archer Daniels Midland, the agriculture play. I know the I know the folks on Twitter are criticizing me because I bought them a little bit high. This, Scott, is the beginning stage. This is the first inning with the concerns that we have towards agriculture and the underinvestment in terms of paper assets towards agriculture plays itself. So what does Walmart do? Walmart offers the solution for consumers as it relates to that food inflation. February, the study came out. It compared all the supermarkets, the pricing of food. Well, guess what? Walmart comes in 14% lower versus all its peers. So you're going to have a consumer that is going to be price conscious. They're going to be looking towards a place like Walmart where they're going to be able to go in and get the necessities at a lower price. Walmart's going to capture market share. They're going to see traffic grow. And you have a multi-year breakout in the stock above 153. I am taking a position, and I will tell you that I think this stock trades above $200. Wow. Okay. Josh, he was trying to tee you up there with the, uh, this breakout. <laughs> yeah. And historically, this is not uh, – Joe's right. Historically, though, this is not good for uh, people that are looking at stock market as anticipatory of the economy. We really are in a position where people are cutting back, um, and high food prices feed into that narrative just the same as high gasoline prices. And when people are feeling that strain, they are increasingly going to dollar stores and to Walmart and looking to save money on everyday essentials. Um, And so when you see a stock like Walmart start to break out here, I think that that confirms a lot of the other signals that we're starting to see, such as uh, the yield spread collapsing uh, a couple of weeks back. So I think Joe will be right on this trade, and I think people should be not so enthusiastic about what the wider-ranging ramifications might be. All right. Good stuff. Joe, thank you. Appreciate you coming on, talking about Good both of those Scott. names, uh, Blackstone and then the new one in Walmart. Up next, we have more trades on some of the day's biggest earnings movers, including United and Alaska Air. We're back right after this. Both stocks, well, at least United, off to the races today. 
Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, we have breaking news. Let's get right to senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. We have some Fed speakers today making headlines. Fed speakers, movement in Fed fund futures, a lot going on in Fed world today. Scott, let me whip through it. Chicago Fed President Charlie Evans says he's going to retire in early 2023. He's going to hit that mandatory 65 retirement age in January. Chicago Fed saying it's already formed a search committee Mm. to look for and find that new president. James Bullard, the St. Louis Fed president, who made some headlines earlier this week, saying uh, this morning again he's concerned about high inflation and it could pull up inflation expectations. That's his big concern. He calls inflation exceptionally high and said the Fed is behind the curve. Speaking of the curve, we've had some big movements in the outlook for the Fed uh, Fed rate hikes. Um, let me t- let me show you here. We now know the December Fed funds contract trading uh, last I looked at two sixty six. What's important about that is that's above the range that most Fed officials say is um, uh, where they want to get to by the end of the year. So the market now trading higher than the Fed's or most Fed officials' uh, highest rate here. And you can see there it goes all the way on uh, up well above 3%, almost near 4% by the end, by, by the middle of 2023. So uh, we've had a big upward shift in this, Scott. <clears throat> I think this comes up in part from comments from uh, Bullard and Mary Daly, the San Francisco Fed president. She called the case for a 50 base point hike in May solid. And she says she's going to deliberate whether or not we do 25s, 50s, or even 75. So she didn't rule out a 75 basis point rate cut or rate hike. She's one of the uh, had been one of the more dovish people out there. That, of course, follows on from Bullard saying that he thought maybe a 75 was, you know, in the realm of possibility, though not, of course, his base case. We have a lot of activity in this market right now as they start to bid up this outlook here for Fed rate hikes, Scott. The chart you just showed suggests that the market thinks that the Fed is going to be more aggressive than the Fed thinks, <laughs> at least in the current time. Ex- I mean, think, exactly. Right? Let me, uh, I, I want to just uh, clear that, be very clear. I'm going to look right now at my little spreadsheet here. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking out here. Do you show there a 340 by August 2023? Uh, Okay. Uh, I don't. I've got 323 for June 23 and December 23. Sorry. So that end of that chart is not right. The middle is correct. I'm very sorry about that. We didn't get a chance to correct it before it went on air. It it had been 230 in December. Now it's up. I've got 340. So, Mm. Scott, essentially you are correct that the market now sees the Fed being more aggressive by, I don't know, 75 basis points uh, for for, for next year and uh, by, say, call it uh, 20 basis points or, or, sorry, 40 basis points for this year. I know that. And by the way, one other little factoid here. Yeah. uh, 61% chance that we're at 200 to 225 by July. So that means that they've got a May, June, and July uh, um, uh, 50 basis points built in. You think there's going to be a serious conversation in the room, Steve, about 75 basis points, or is that just, for lack of a better description and no disrespect meant in any way, Bullard being Bullard? No, I don't, I don't think that's right, Scott. Here's what I think. I think they'll do 50 in May, 50 in the next one, but here's the thing. I think if they look in the summer, Scott, I think this is what Bullard was saying to give him his due, that if they turn around and they say, you know what, 
This is not happening the way we want it to happen. We're not getting a hold of inflation and we don't see the rate coming down and that they need to pull forward more tightening into the economy. That's when I think they'll start talking about 75. I don't think it's imminent. I think it's in the toolbox. And now I hear two people on different sides of the uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, bird spectrum here mm -hmm. th thinking it's a real possibility and saying, you know what, folks, it's out there as a possibility. Yeah, it is interesting, um, Jim Labenthal, to what Steve showed us before about what the market thinks the Fed is going to do, whether the Fed thinks it or not. And that's left then to investors to try and figure out exactly what's all going to go down. Yeah, so to this investor, and this will come as no surprise to Steve because we've had this conversation many times, I believe that the Fed Fund's future markets is one of the most schizophrenic markets in the world. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that it changes a lot. So here's how I, as an investor, am going to act. I agree completely with Steve. You're going to get 50 basis points and not more in, in two weeks on May 4th. The reason not more is Chairman Powell has said repeatedly he doesn't want to surprise the market. The market's expecting 50 basis points. You get 50 basis points. Then and you've got two rounds of inflation readings, two rounds before the June 15th meeting. I think we're just going to wait and see how those numbers come in. If they're hotter than expected, then you're darn right 75 basis points is on the table. If they start cooling off, maybe so does the Fed funds future markets. But this is, I know what I'm getting in two weeks, and I'm waiting and watching after that. All right, last word, Steve, then I got to bounce. Hey, hey Scott. Yeah, I want to just back up what Jim's saying about the volatility. I don't know if I'd call it schizophrenic because I've got a lot of friends in that market. I want them still to talk to me. But there's a certain thing going on, Scott, where there's a convexity trade, there's a duration trade. Basically, right now, because the Fed is leaving the market, there is going to be a lot more volatility. There is a lot more volatility in the fixed income market. The Fed was sitting on this market, keeping volatility from happening and now that it's up when you have a move to the upside it will be amplified to the upside when you have a move to the downside on yields it will be amplified to the downside as people try to get duration right in their portfolio so get used to this call it schizophrenia call it volatility the bond market the fed funds market are going to be ones we're going to have to watch and and pay very close attention to we will appreciate the reporting that's steve leesman thank you up next we're going to hit some of those big earnings movers we're back in just two minutes All right, let's hit some of those big earnings movers today. You know about United Airlines, okay? But how about Alaska Airlines, Jim? They beat. First quarter loss widened. Said the revenue beat. You own it. Talk to me about it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I feel pretty good. I caught what you said just a second ago or a minute ago about, you know, implying it's not doing as well. And it isn't today as United Airlines. And I started to think about that. And I looked back and here's some salient points. OK, the airlines are the place you wanted to be for the last two years. No surprise there. OK, Alaska is twice the return of S&P 500 over the last two years. It's also outperformed United over that time period. And all of these airlines are having a great year to date. The reason today, even with fabulous earnings, that it's not doing as well as United is one simple and very positive fact for the sector. International travel is starting to look better. Okay, American Airlines announced that on their earnings call, you can see maybe the mask mandate for international travel maybe, maybe is going to go away and, and the testing requirements. The bottom line is this. This is a great time to be invested in airlines. I like Alaska because of the balance sheet, but all of these guys are seeing incredible demand. It's not just the earnings they're reporting. Their demand going forward is great. They're controlling capacity, so their margins aren't going to suffer. John Ajaran, you sold the Jets calls you had, and you took your profits. 
Mm -hmm. I did. Got out of that completely, Scott. Um, I still have uh, UAL calls, and I'm selling at-the-money calls right around that 50 or 52 strike, I forget which, against them. Um, Scott Kirby sounded very optimistic. That's the CEO over there at United uh, this morning, especially about European travel and premium travel and being disciplined about bringing capacity back on. They're still not, I mean, revenue is up versus 2019 and so forth, Scott, but uh, the available uh, seats are not there. They will be there, but they'll bring them on judiciously. It doesn't sound like they just want to flood the market with capacity. So that's another positive for the sector. Brenda, you buy any of these names? If not, why? We're not. So our plays, I think, that are, are very similar. We own Boeing, which certainly benefits from a healthy airline sector uh, that's continuing to invest in their fleets. And we own Booking, and that's uh, has been our way of having exposure to an uptick in travel-related activities without owning companies that really are um, uh, so asset-heavy um, in terms of um, uh, their needs, and it's really an, more of an asset-light business model. So that's been our preference. Okay. So um, John said uh, Scott Kirby's optimistic. You heard Ed Bastian of Delta last week. He's very optimistic. By the way, the Alaska Air CEO, we'll find out how optimistic he is today on the exchange. That's 1 o'clock. It's a CNBC exclusive. I know Farmer Jim's going to be watching that interview uh, with hopefully all of you. When we come back, final trades. Overtime tonight, 4 o'clock Eastern time. Snap earnings are going to be breaking. We're going to have the report, the reaction, the stock reactions, 50 bucks off of its high. So we'll see what the earnings report does. And there's going to be a lot of scrutiny. It really is the first social media company to report its results, too. So we'll be focused all over that. Chris Toomey is going to join us as well. Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. So you get some... Uh, Live investment advice as, as well uh, uh, from somebody uh, who manages high net worth clients. All right, final trades. Brenda, first. Yeah, Cisco, food service company. Uh, this company really is gaining market share in what's a surprisingly fragmented market and also is really a beneficiary of more people eating out, not only at restaurants, but also at hotels and other large format venues. Okay, Josh Brown. Uh, Carlisle Group, stock has come down year to date but they're going to have excellent results throughout the course of 2022. Okay. Uh, interesting. We talked about that with, uh, with Joe, of course, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Blackstone, and Carlisle's down about 5% too. Dr. J. Equitrans Midstream, uh, natural gas. It's my second natural gas play of the day, Scott. E-T-R-N. I bought it during the show. Okay. And finally, Farmer Jim. <laughs> I'm in sync with my buddy, Dr. J. Kinder Morgan, another natural gas-oriented pipeline play. I don't have to tell you how important that commodity is worldwide. Yeah, no doubt. All right, guys, Bang. thank you. I'll see you in overtime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.